What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Grace in the Gray podcast, where we use the black and white of Scripture to speak into the gray areas of our lives. Today, I am joined once again by Sam. Hello. James. Good morning. And I guess Rick, whatever. Hey, everyone, and good afternoon or whatever other time of day you might be listening. How are you? I'll we now just sound insert, insert joyful. 30 seconds of silence for you to respond. Ready? Go. I'm not really doing that. <laughs> there are people talking to themselves yeah. right now, driving down the road. I hope so. That was the goal. <laughs> well, instead of talking to yourself, we want to invite you to listen to our conversation. And we're in the middle of our season, Church Practices. Last week, well, the last two weeks, really, we've talked about church membership, and we've gotten some good feedback. People are actually listening and engaging, and it's really fun. Um, We're going to continue the Instagram posts and the polls and questions, and um, we'd love to hear what you think of the season, of our topics, and um, how you feel about what we're going to talk about today, which is church attendance. So what makes people not come to church? Could I have worded that better? Why why don't people come to church? (laughs) So some people come every Sunday, some people come every other when they have to serve, some come one in eight. Isn't that the nationwide statistic? And then some people come on Yeah, I wonder the when holidays. that was updated. I wonder if it's less now. I don't know if they Pretty did anything COVID. with it. Yeah. yeah. I know that the 1.8 number initially came from before the pandemic, so. Oh, is it 1.8? I thought it was one in eight. Maybe it is one point. I, I think it's one point eight. Yeah, on one point eight Sundays per month. Gotcha. If you're, yeah. and that's what's actually deemed as like a regular church attender. You yeah. come one point eight Sundays per month. Mm-hmm. So, which is interesting. So obviously, yeah, this is a, I guess, a cool topic of conversation because if that's, if less than fifty percent is kind of the measure for what we would term regular, then we're probably, I would say, not hitting a home run unless we're talking about baseball. Then I guess you could still be in the Hall of Fame for batting one point eight out of every four, <laughs> maybe five. Uh, successfully but yeah i think it's, it's definitely a, if i'm batting anything plus zero i'm yeah. that's home run for me so, um so yeah i mean i think it's definitely a, a conversation worth having and i think it's one that's also been pushed to the forefront because of like covid and the changes that happened as we run around there obviously church even for like you saw with even smaller i mean obviously there's a lot of mega churches and larger churches that have had the internet capability for a longer period of time but we've seen that spread to churches that are very small now that it's varying levels of you know quality and all of those kind of things but almost everyone has some form of facebook live or youtube mm-hmm. or some platform in which they stream their service to live which is kind of pressed the question maybe a, additional to just talking church attendance and whole as a as a whole maybe it's a also an interesting thing to work, note church attendance in purses in person versus in not in purses in person <laughs> versus uh church attendance in per, in you know on the online world so yeah, we had i mean obviously we're going to be talking a little bit about habits that changed in general with the pandemic and specifically with church attendance and i think it's really interesting to note how like the affordability of the technology that it takes to be able to live stream something lining up with a world event in which people were not doing in-person events like those two things lining up created kind of this perfect recipe so it's definitely no mystery Uh, it's definitely no mystery that we see decreased church attendance in person yeah so is it does watching online count as attendance yeah that's the question i want to dig into well i would argue that during during the pandemic that was the only option and so if you're on your couch with your family or a small group of people that 
you know, you're safe to be around that attending online there counts. That checks the box of of attending, of worshiping, because that was the only thing that was available. Yeah. But now do people rely on online services to be their only experience for going to church? I think and I I won't I won't take the the car out of lane for too far on this, but I think it's almost it's to me, it's not almost it's it's heartbreaking that we ask the question in that way that we think about these things that we see historically as a huge part of our faith, even all the way back to the pages of Scripture. And we we begin to think about them as does this count for this or does this. You know, does this check the box, I think, is the other wording that you just used a second ago. And I'm like, man, that's that's so heartbreaking. One, that we've we've somehow turned this religious performance into things that we do or don't do, actions that we complete or we don't complete instead of, you know, a more deeper, maybe gospel-saturated motivation or reason for doing the things that we do. But I, I won't take it off on that, but I'm like, man, I... I would just encourage you, if you're listening to this, to to stop trying to check boxes. I think that's a really negative way to go about your entire relationship with Jesus. And so maybe come at this from a different angle than that. But I think it's still an interesting and needed discussion in the church when it comes to church attendance. I feel like that's the heart of it, though. Sure. Like, why why don't we take it that way? Like, why does it feel like something? Why does it feel to some people that it's just a a box to be checked or a religious practice? Like, how do we make it more than that? How do we we change our hearts? Maybe I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm not really sure. Not you. I know. It's shocking. (laughs) But like, do we really want to completely do away with the idea of checkboxes because like obedience to membership, a a definitive number of things? Yeah. Yeah. We just had this conversation to a certain extent with membership like. Nothing but checking boxes, sure, but the idea of having like a list of things that's definitive, sure. that's like these are expected behaviors for me if I'm submitting myself to the authority of God. Yeah, and I think that's that would be what I'm, I'm, I'm – the heart of what I was saying is don't check boxes just to check boxes, yeah. right? Like there's there's got to be – I think for it to be a gospel gospel checking of the box, if you will, <laughs> that there's a motivation that lines up there with sure. God's will and direction for your life that's deeper than I'm doing this because grandmama told me that I have to do this, right? Yeah. Like I grew up in this culture of I do this because I simply because I do this, right? Like that's not going to last and it's not meaningful. I think some of this stems back to the to the um, church membership discussion where we talked about you know, what What do you view coming to church as? Like, what are you doing when you come here? Like, what's the objective? And I think maybe that's a big part that comes into this for some people. And this, I think, is, is a large bit of the fault of this lays at the foot of the modern Western evangelical church is I'm coming to receive some some message that somehow helps me be a better me or a more godly listen me in quotation. Like, yeah. Uh, listen, personal. And so it's just a, I yeah, guess. it's, yeah, it's personal enrichment slash entertainment. And it's somewhere mm-hmm. in that, in that scope of things. And it's like, so I think church attendance becomes a lot less important for that because I, I contend we're the most entertained generation ever, right? Like you can, you can do whatever you want to, whenever you want to with a phone in your pocket. And now for some people, unfortunately that's become, Become a, and this is in air quotes. If you're just listening, that's that includes become a part of the local body. I can do that on my iPhone, hooked into my radio, driving down the road. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I also want to be very careful as we had this conversation. I'm a hundred percent for churches being able to make resources available online and the utilization of those resources. I think that's a phenomenal tool in their seasons of life. Like I know we're in young kid, we're in the young kid stage, at least most of us. 
James's kids are a little bit older. By that you mean we have young kids, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not we are young children. Um, Speak for yourself. But like I know, Sam, you guys have been been battling the flu. And so it's a huge blessing in moments like that where you can't get out. And that's like I don't want – I just don't want somebody to tune into this, especially if you're young and you're like, I love technology. I I don't love technology. I just – it's not my giftedness. I like to be outside and outdoors when I grew up hunting and fishing. So I just just don't utilize that stuff. I don't have anything hugely negative against it. So I don't want you to hear this and disconnect because it's like, oh, here we go. The pastors are against the Internet. I'm fine with the Internet. The Internet's awesome. and It's an unbelievable tool and resource. I think it's just important that we frame it in the correct way. Well, that kind of goes back to the membership question of what it wasn't the best phrasing, but what do they get out of being a member? So mm-hmm. what what do you get out of coming to church, to the the building? What do you get and what do you give others by being here versus being at home alone online yeah, or not coming at all and not engaging online. Well, and I think this, it'd be helpful at this point in the conversation to kind of narrow the focus of the question because it's maybe less helpful or beneficial to ask the question of whether or not coming to church matters because do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, like that's a pretty definitive passage in defense of just being together, coming together. And I don't think you can make the argument that that's, descriptive not prescriptive because there's no there's no cultural milieu that prevents that from being equally applicable and paul is writing a letter to a church kind of like we're a church so i think like that question really doesn't have that much interest it the answer is just yes like it's important to gather then the question becomes with technology that they didn't have back then i think we're it's we need to focus more on this question that we're heading towards which is online versus in person yeah and I think there's, for me, like walking out of that and the, the passage that Ben's talking about is in Hebrews chapter 10, um, where it's don't neglect to meet together. And it, it talks about stirring one another, challenging one another along um, in spiritual development, spiritual growth and in good works. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that I would go, it's unbelievably important that we do meet together is it's it's exponentially more difficult not just to do that like when we talk about stirring one another along what does that look like online obviously we can't say that we can't do that because that's one of the goals of this podcast is to get you guys that are listening to think about these things and wrestle with these things and we hope they do challenge you and cause you to take some next steps or maybe examine your faith and what you believe so obviously we we think it does do that but i think there's there's also nearly 60 one another commands uh, that we find in the New Testament that are given to believers that we would love one another, that we would encourage one another, that we would do. And you can find those. You can Google all of the one another commands. And I'll tell you, you're going to be hard pressed to convince me, at least. And again, maybe this is opinion, but I think it's pretty strong one that you can do all of those one another commands at the same level through a computer or cell phone screen as you can in, you know, rubbing knees and elbows and and getting in there into each other's lives and investing in person and being part of a local body that is pushing towards something in person. But we're talking particularly about the Sunday morning experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is, it just creates a lot of complication in the conversation because for most people, the Sunday morning experience is not the place, especially in our model where they first and foremost actually engage in personal relationship with other believers. For most of them, it's home group. So how does that factor into the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that drives back to, and I always want to, you know, I always want to go, Hey, I feel like people get frustrated either end of this thing. And like the church goes, I want people to come back. And then people are like, well, why should I come back? And I think some of that lays just at the fault. Like when we talked about church membership and like, 
creating for us as church leadership something that is happening here that is not worth coming to in an entertainment or consumerism type of mentality, but is worth happening, that's worth being a part of. And if we're going to have the conversation physically, worth being a part of physically here on a Sunday morning that encourages or pushes you or fills one of those one another commands inside of that. So I think that's a fair question. Mm -hmm. So why do you think it's so easy for people to fall out of the habit of coming regularly on a Sunday? I mean, I think the easy surface level answer to that is because we are a culture of convenience, right? And it's one of the things that technology has done that, again, can be a tremendous blessing is give you everything that you seemingly need or knowledge that you need to know at the at your fingertip, right? That you can look it up, that you can participate to some degree in anything without ever going anywhere. You know what I mean? But it's so weird. I, I wish that I would have uh, done some, maybe some more research in psychology because there's this weird thing, and I, and I don't get this at all, but maybe one of you guys have seen something on this that can be helpful. Like there's this, and it started with my niece. My niece was the first one that I saw do this, and now my daughter and it's not like we taught her this. There's this thing where like people, like kids are watching people play with toys, right? <laughs> like you get on there and you watch people and it started like I watched, like our niece loved watching people open Easter eggs, like on YouTube videos. Like I just watched you open Easter eggs and she would like do it for like, I was like, you know what's better than that is getting an Easter egg, <laughs> but it's this weird world. And now like my daughter is the same way, like, like She'll be on YouTube and we try to do our best to monitor what she's watching. And obviously, we have safeguards and all that kind of stuff as much as we can. But we'll walk in there and it's like she's watching people unbox a new toy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey. Adults do that. I know. Yeah. I'm like, there yeah. are unboxing videos yeah. for adults. I don't. My I've personality. Never seen them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just felt threatened for a second. <laughs> yeah. I don't, my personality doesn't get it at all, but I don't, I don't know. And so I don't know what inside of us draws us to something like that. But maybe it has a place in this conversation too. I don't know. Some stuff just be having good boxes, y'all. <laughs> Apple stuff. <laughs> it's clean. It's crisp. You know that noise. Yeah. Well, with Apple, there's a smell when you open it, too. Yeah. It should like be in Apple. a candle. Mm, Apple store smell. <laughs> Not to be confused with the scent of apples. Right. <laughs> Which is good to kind of segue into my thought on this. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very interested to see how this gets to there, but Speaking I'll go Apple smell. <laughs> so I believe most things in life. And technology can be explained with food. I'm going to unpack that right now. So so when you, like, fix a plate, you want, like, a protein or something that's going to, like, feed you and nourish you. And then there's more things that fill out the meal that maybe fill in. D- depends on how you're approaching it. It might fill in a flavor gap. It might fill in a nutrition gap. It might fill in... Uh, things that ultimately come together to make a complete thing. And I feel like with church attendance, there's a balance between like the source of the spiritual renewal that we're supposed to have and then resources that are not themselves the thing. Mm. Um, And uh, that's something that I had to come to terms with a long time ago. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They are no longer the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They are now the Tabernacle Choir, in case you're you know, Googling and not seeing results or something like that. <laughs> um, but I, I knew that there were differences between the beliefs that the church I grew up in had and you know, Latter-day Saints Church has. And I still, frankly, don't know what all those are, but there's a huge overlap in like traditional 
Christian music um, that goes back several hundred years. Uh, and really, they perform it in, in arrangements and in just expertise that you don't see many other places. Um, it is not common to get one of the 10 largest organs in the world and a top-tier orchestra and a massive choir, 360 voices, um, together to do what they do and do it well and do it well enough to do what they do. And they do it as a ministry. But I struggled with that because I'm like, should I like this? Uh, is it okay for me to to like ingest this? Um, and ultimately, I decided, yes. Was that selfish? Maybe. But um, there was a need that I had, uh, and frankly, I uh, still have, uh, that I, I would encourage anybody. Uh, I think Pastor Phillips probably my poster child for this where he'll tell you you know if it was up to him what music would be doing it would look a lot more like southern gospel and not like what we do on an average sunday Uh, but that's because what we do is around mission and vision but that doesn't mean that there aren't individual gaps in your life that need to be filled with something else and you're saying that like those things that are gaps are things that can be filled by online resources they could be and that might look like an online resource uh my word of caution is that we get into a an unhealthy territory when we are only looking at the things that are gap fillers in place of that gathering together that the Hebrews protein. talks about. Yep, the main dish. <laughs> that hits me on a deep level because just as a confession, just to lay this out there, I am a sides guy, so I can very very fast. Fall, it happens every Thanksgiving that I get barely any turkey because I just got an outrageous amount of mac and cheese and whatever type of vegetable casseroles are available well and i have to be careful because last week we went to duke's that reopened mm-hmm. and Shout i out. fixed yeah. the plate of free sides pl- free plug for you dukes yeah, <laughs> and, yeah I, I did that thing i just said i shouldn't do i fixed the plate of sides and there was meat out there i just didn't take it that's on me we we've tumbled very quickly into the metaphor <laughs> and lost the bead for what it was actually representative we, we ventured into the sides and we do not have the meat yeah but I, I guess the question maybe even to reverse the question that we're asking i'm wondering what do you miss on a functional level by only attending I, services online i have a question in this community i could be making this up to some degree, I think there's some community and we can come back to that. So hold that. But I, I want to ask you, because I feel like we've had a discussion when I say you, I'm talking to you, Ben, is we've had a discussion. I thought you said I either have done or I want to do some research into the benefits of corporate worship on the human psyche, on our development as humanity and that kind of stuff. And I don't know if you if you said I want to do or I have done or I've researched those kind of things. And I think that's part of this thing. Is there something that happens not singing Maverick City as loud as you can at the windshield of your car or your church's worship band probably playing Maverick City as loud as you can at the windshield of your car. Is there something that happens psychologically or spiritually or or however you want to take that in terms of singing together, processing God's word together under a corporate teaching or whatever it may be? And I'll throw that to you. I don't know. There's a million things that flash through my head. Um thinking about essentially that question, like socially, what actually happens? What Mm -hmm. kind of social phenomena are taking place when we do one of two things? And are there any differences? The first would be what happens on a sociological level when we collectively witness something and what happens on a sociological level when we collectively 
participate in something. And I think they're different, but I'm not really sure what the difference is functionally. Um, so it would be like the difference between we all listen to the same message versus we all participated in the same action, like with the musical portion of the service. And I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't know the answer to most of the questions that we're asking here today, but I guess like if we're talking about in-person versus online church attendance, I'm still wondering like functionally, what do you miss by not being here physically in person? Yeah. Because you, you have the option I, to I, chat. Yeah, I right? think there is. I think, and this is this is not. So full disclosure, this is not backed by science or anything as much as it's just backed by personal experience and those kind of things. There's been various seasons of life where, for whatever reason, particularly in difficult seasons, but not just in difficult seasons, where there are promises or things or characteristics of God, black and white of Scripture, that I know to be true on a like on a comprehensive level, like I comprehend this to be true. You know what I mean? That I know this is true and that I, for whatever reason, can't get my flesh and my spirit to line up with those promises or of God or those characteristics of God or those kind of things. And I have found it to be for my own personal development and spiritual development, unbelievably valuable to stand in a community of believers and be able to see a part, to feel a part, to sense being a part of this corporate body of worship that may drive me to believe or reassure me when I'm battling my own unbelief that I don't know what everybody in here is walking through, but there's something powerful about collectively doing it together. And I think you lose that. And like I love passion conferences and passion albums and all that. I, I, I've just never gotten that listen to the college kids that you can hear in the background of listening to those worship albums. It's something. But why is what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. And I, and, and part of it is if because I just brought up like the the chat feature or whatever, and we have that available on the platform that we do our live streaming on. Most people don't utilize it. If they did, would it fill some portion of that gap? And if we offered other features, could we fill more and more and more of that gap? And I'm not saying that should be yeah, and I, a goal I, we should head I, towards. I'm just wondering, like, what's the essential component that you miss if you're not physically yeah, here? I, I think authenticity of community is robbed. And I, I, I know that technology has come a long way and you can FaceTime and you can Teams meeting and you can do all that. And it's changed the way that not just we do a spiritual world, but that we do a corporate world as well. But I, and this isn't a perfect analogy, so you you feel free to dissect it if you want to. But I recognize from the beginning it's not a perfect analogy. But like in times when I've been out of the country or out of town or things like that, it's not the same to talk to my wife or my kids on the phone or participate from afar, even with all of the technology that we have where I can see them, I can hear them, I can FaceTime them, I can see the emotion on their face, I can do all of those kind of things. It in no way substitutes or stands in for my physically being present with my family. And I think time and time again, we talked about this in church membership, the church is described as a family, as a body of believers gathered mm -hmm. together as a family. And I think in a season when I'm out of town or when my kids are sick or whatever's going on that it can stand in there or as a supplement in terms of like, hey, I'm going to you know text message in the middle of the day, even though I'm going to be home in a little bit, I'm going to text message my wife and do those kind of things. To use your food analogy, James, I think those things can stand in there. But at the end of the day, I I want to be with my family. You know what I mean? I want to be with them. And it's I, I'm just not smart enough to give you the scientific, sociological, psychological studies. Well, the, that is so the parallel is helpful, obviously, because like yeah. you said, that it's 
your family versus your church family. And there are a lot of things that are similar, but like the obvious shortcoming with talking to your family on like FaceTime or Zoom. I don't know what people use. (laughs) They probably don't Zoom their family, (laughs) whatever digital platforms they're using. Like there's the obvious shortcoming of the fact that you, you can't hold your family. Um, and that's a shortcoming, but like, that's not necessarily applicable with coming to church. But I think it is. I mean, I think even that there is. I hardly sound, ever hold this. James. Yeah, this <laughs> hardly. <laughs> this sounds weird to say, but there is something about even if you're not physically holding, physically being present with people. And I think some of that goes into what I was talking about a minute ago in terms of being able to worship and the experience, the corporate experience and the corporate participation in all of the things that we do as worship. And I think it's being physically present, even if I'm not like, you know, touching you yeah. physically like the just the the feeling of that you know what i mean and this is a really weird spot because feelings is not my yeah that's not your expertise yeah, it's not it? my expertise of conversation but at the same time i might not be an expert in it but i know it's there right yeah. like i know that that this thing happens when i am in there singing and it's cool it's one of the reasons that i enjoy sitting down front like when i get to come into our corporate worship it's other than I'm by myself because nobody ever sits down front. It's that you can, it's almost an invitation in the front. I can hear what's going on on the stage and I can hear what's behind me. Like it's all, you know, that sounds really selfish, but it's valuable to me in my spiritual development to like Mm -hmm. not just be spectating, but also be able to hear what I'm participating in. And I think that's the big thing is it's like, hey, supplementally, it can be good to supplement and spectate and watch and listen to your favorite pa- or one of your favorite pastors that might not be your 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 every week pastor that you just enjoy listening to or whatever. But there's also not going to be that spot. That pastor that you listen to that speaks at those conferences that you love is not going to show up when the wheels come off in your life, right? Like there's a, there's a value in being connected, and this goes back to our membership thing in the local body, but that's not what we're talking about today, and I recognize that. Okay, so, so here's a question. I'll bring back up the fact that our our model is centered primarily on home groups and as a, a secondary outworking of that, the corporate worship gathering. I don't. That may not be the most accurate way to describe our model, but it is the shortest up until the point that I decided to defend the fact that I described it that way and now it's become too long. (laughs) Sorry, that was fun. Um, I guess I'm wondering, could you make the argument, could you make the argument that if you attend home group consistently and you're only viewing the Sunday morning service on the internet, you're fulfilling the need for that in-person contact, but since most of our Sunday morning services are geared around something experiential whether we think it should be that way or not what what are you missing yeah, i mean I, yes you won't get the chance to talk to people before or after the service we don't really encourage interpersonal communication in the midst of the service we don't discourage it but it's not designed into the actual worship experience so i'm wondering okay if you're thinking of interpersonal connection go to home group you get that face-to-face contact sunday morning is built as an experience sure do online and I'm not arguing for that. I guess I'm wondering where's the gap in the way we think about these things or where's the gap in the way that we design these experiences or where's. Well, I think if you come to church on Sunday and you just come by yourself or you come with your spouse and you're sitting in the worship center and it is that that experiential. Um, I want to say experience and that's not right, but <laughs> if you're, <laughs> it works. But if you're okay, so if you're sitting there by yourself, that's one thing. But if you attend church on Sunday morning with your home group or with your family, with your community, 
then that's just another way to experience not only the the message or the songs or just the the feeling that we're all describing that almost becomes like another like added protein to your plate like you get the Sunday morning experience plus the home group experience on Sunday. Yeah. And so then you, you can, have the you can maybe too. make the argument like following that logic that it's like it's another good thing or more of a good thing that you're already receiving from home group. But then how like that maybe we'll even run into the issue that's had in a lot of church environments where, well, there's also Sunday night and you should really be there for that. And then mm-hmm. there's Wednesday and then there's Bible study and then there's men's Bible study. There's kids BBS. There's. And then it's like, when you yeah, why why wouldn't you have more of the good thing until all of a sudden, like you're literally living at the church? Yeah. I think a lot of this conversation for me goes back to always. And one of the cool things that excites me about being on this podcast and the topics that we get to talk about is there's always room to examine what we're doing, both as church leadership and then as participants in church and Christianity as a whole mm-hmm. and examine one, is this what we're called to biblically? Is this what we find in the black and white of Scripture? Um, and then two, is is there, once we get into that gray area, is there something that I could be doing that would make this not better for me in a consumeristic experiential experience sense, <laughs> but like in terms of like my spiritual growth development becoming more and more formed into the image of God? And I think it is like, and I've never thought about it before, but you're you're kind of thought that you had a minute ago, Ben, it's kind of heartbreaking to me that we do view Sunday morning, the gathering of the saints, if you will, to put some old school terminology on it, as simply this thing that we come and do instead of this is a place that I come and I pull in here that I could be honest and like sit beside somebody and create this culture inside of our churches, inside of our body of believers that's like, hey, come in here and actually be known, right? Like, Maybe not at the same level, like you're still going to be known at a deeper level than at home group than you're ever going to be because it's just impossible to be known by an entire large group. But to be sitting with your small group of people that goes, hey, I need you to sing today because I can't. Mm. Right. I, I need you to to process these words because I can't. And I think there's something so valuable in that and it's so lost in we've com- we've created consumerism. Right. And so it is this, hey, come in, do your thing, sit walk out, be done with it, and you move on. And I'm like, no, come in here and not be okay. Mm -hmm. Or what if you come in and you're sitting next to a person who it took everything they had to make it to church today? And it might be their first time in forever or their first time as an adult on their own volition to come in. But but we're focused on our own experience. Like, what if we yeah, shifted our mindset? Because I, yeah, because I also think the the other flip side of that is like there's a, there's such a valuable place when you come in and you are in the spot that you can sing. But our again, our, our mindset shifts inwardly because everything is consumeristic. And it's like, man, what if what if I viewed today? My objective is to find that person mm-hmm. that can't sing like that's that's in that spot in their life. And I'm going to make it my mission. There's somebody here who's struggling and I'm not going to take I'm fine. Like I'm going to invest in serving um, uh, you know we're working through second corinthians and we're going to talk about the ministry of reconciliation you know and that's kind of one of those coffee cup type of verses and i'm like man it's we've lost the ministry of reconciliation for really one of two things come to church right that's our invitation that's what we think is our ministry of reconciliation or hey let me help you behave better like let me help you be a better version of you and the, the reality of that is so much deeper it's hey let me remind you 
as I remind myself what Christ has done with me in addressing my biggest issue, which is sin and my brokenness from him, and that still in this world I'm still broken and removed, but I can be wholly united to him even when I don't feel that way. That's a reality that I live in, and there's so much value in being the person that reminds somebody of that promise, but also having someone, whether it be in corporate worship or in small, you know, kind of continuations of corporate worship in smaller group community that's like, Hey, I'm here to be, I'm here to, to do the ministry of reconciliation with you to remind you we've been reconciled and there's hope and there's more than I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's good to see you. But the, the vast majority of the time, if you, if you run into someone or notice somebody in a Sunday morning context where they're hurting Mm -hmm. or they're actively walking through a crisis, the first thing we're going to try to do is get them connected long-term in a more permanent community, right? So we're going to point them towards home group or depending on their circumstances, we may also point them towards care and counseling. Yeah, but that's long term. Like in the moment, it's well, a and, hug and a prayer. And But we're definitely not making the argument that the only place that that or the only way that that can happen is if we make sure that we come to Sunday morning services. In fact, most of the time you're going to be interacting with broken people every day mm-hmm. of your life as you walk through sure. everyday life. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm making the argument that I don't care about. No, it does. Sunday morning gathering. It does. <laughs> A lot of bold takes here. <laughs> you're the worship director. Yeah, yeah don't. The, go. I don't want the guy that does the web streaming. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be careful what we argue against. Yeah, that's okay. fair enough. Re- regardless, I, I guess what I'm really trying to get to the bottom of is what actually happens on a Sunday morning that holds. And I, I know we want to fight back against like the idea of consumeristic uh, mindset, but ultimately, if it's not. If it's not beneficial when doing it, then how good can the thing in itself be? Yeah, I my, guess my challenge, and I use that word consumeristic, recognizing that everything is at some level consumeristic, is consumeristic to what end? Like, what are we what are we yeah. defining as? Or beneficial? just making sure that like the the consumer mindset isn't the top of your hierarchy of values. I yeah. guess, is and maybe I, and, the I, and again, I think it's. Ends. There's nothing wrong with coming into this. Like, I I want people to come to a Sunday morning gathering of believers. Like, I want to be encouraged. I want to be challenged. I want to be strengthened. All of those things are consumeristic. It's my, my struggle is I want to be entertained, and I want people to smile and shake my hand and make me feel good about me. Yeah. And I don't find that in the pages of Scripture. I find, you know, the church is this, this body that's doing all of these things together that's, you know, that's unbelievably encouraging and does a lot of that kind of stuff, but is also unbelievably challenging, right? Like that most of Paul's letters have something in there that's like, stop doing this. Yeah. Stop. And I think it's, we are, we are a people, I think it's one of the, I think Tim Keller calls them source or primary idols that drift towards comfort, right? In everything that we do, our natural bent is to drift that way. And it's true of church culture. And I think that's, some of that is at the fault, lays at the fault at the feet of the church corporately yeah. in terms of we've created that in people and then we've enabled people to come and, hey, this is just about your comfort. We don't want this to be anything challenging. And I'm like, man, that's that's not biblical either. Mm-hmm. It's, no, we're going to unpack God's word. We're going to sing truth about who God is and his characteristics. And if if who God is and the pages of scripture aren't countering to who you find yourself being, I think you're not reading them well, yeah. or you have a really, really bad perspective on or, who you or are. Or more importantly, and probably more tendentiously or controversially, who who he calls you to be, yeah. right, sure. is where usually the rub comes in. Mm-hmm. But that, like, if you're coming just to be reaffirmed in who you already are, yeah. which sometimes you need, I'm not Absolutely. devaluing that. 
But if that's all you're getting out of it, yeah. then you're really, you're only getting a very small piece of the mm-hmm. puzzle. Um, accountability is a huge part of it, and we talked about that a bit in membership. But yeah, I, my struggle in the moment right now is the fact that a lot of the social makeup of church community is most effectively served in home group. That's why we do home group. But we also do Sunday morning, um, and it is still designed around something like an experience, something that you view versus um, something that you do. Um, And I wonder, because we've already talked about, to a certain extent, certain ways that we can better incorporate a sense of community during the Sunday morning experience, and I'm excited to see those happen. Mm. I think we've got one planned for literally this week. Um, So we're doing stuff like that, but it is interesting to note and there's, there's another idea that bounces around in my head. It actually may even be a very latent response to the question you asked me about, like the sociology of a Sunday morning gathering. There's this idea that I've been messing with for like weeks and weeks, and I'm not really sure what to do with it or if it's heresy. I'm not really sure about that either. <laughs> it's a good, this is a good place to vent that. Yeah. So you guys give me a heads up if it's heresy, because I'll think about it twice as hard. No. Um, there's there's this uh i don't even know what you would call him he kind of defies categorization he's like a sociologist philosopher uh theologian all kinds of stuff named jung Uh, and one of the things he talks about is the way things work themselves into like a cultural subconscious where you don't necessarily you're not necessarily aware of these things but they influence you culturally and it's it's something like Please understand that if you read Jung, your brain will explode, and I'm about to make a huge oversimplification of it. But it's this idea like culturally we have some kind of um, image that we hold in our minds as what a cup is, and that cup may vary from individual to individual. So, So some people may think something more along the lines of a chalice. Some people may think just like a regular dinner cup. Some people think red solo cup. They all have a certain number of qualities in common. But again, they may vary from person to person. Bear with me. I'll get there. (laughs) The idea is that when a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million different people have like this rough estimate of an idea of a cup, somewhere in the midst of all of those approximations is this typical cup, is this archetypical cup. That's just it's, it's like a perfect representation of what that culture considers a cup. And I think about that in reference to worship, and Jung actually applies it to religious practice and ideology as well, um, but we differ in like a major way. Jung would say, as mankind gathers and each individual has their approximation of like a, a theoretically infinite God, as they gather, uh, they're creating this more and more ideal picture of the divine. I would make the same argument, but in reverse order, that when we gather physically, Mm. one of the things that we're doing is I take the peace of God that I've experienced, and I've experienced God in his fullness because of what Christ has done. My brain can't hold it all at once, so I I experience it in terms of stories, things that have happened to me through time. And I build more and more of those experiences. I gather in a community, like in home group, and hear more and more of those experiences but I still only have a limited picture. But when more and more of us gather and simultaneously orient ourselves towards something divine, in this case, uh, God, I think 
all of our rough approximations end up with us being able to praise something that's a more accurate depiction of God. Is it? That's good. That's yeah. a little heady, but yeah, no, and I, I don't, you know, I don't think it's heretical. You know, I think we've actually put it on T-shirts. Do they say "Better Together"? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, which is the even, which is an even more dramatic simplification that obviously leaves itself open to way too much interpretation when we're talking about something like that. But I think it's. I had a theology professor that said that that whether we're talking about hermeneutics or theology or how whatever you're studying, really any any genre of study it's always going to be best done inside of community right Mm -hmm. because all that we can bring to the table is what we can bring to the table our experiences our picture our preconceived notions of what what this thing is whether it be a cup or jesus um there's danger in that because obviously we we always want to steer back to we have a we have a guiding text here we're examining this text together but we don't get to leave this text and make some ethereal god that we've created i think that's the that could be one of the dangers maybe in that line of thought is that we well this group of 500 people gathered together and they invented this entirely new god because of their how they all pictured a cup and it was all more like a champagne glass and so their god looked completely different or whatever you know what i mean and that's that's the danger of it and i think the cool thing of one of the avenues of corporate worship that's cool is making sure that worship when I say worship, I'm talking music is grounded in scripture. Teaching is scripture and biblical and all of those kind of things to allow all of these individual unique perspectives that we bring to this corporate event to allow us to be actually doing more what we find ourselves called to do in scripture. Yeah. And, so, and it's interesting to see the interplay of like individual experiences uh, versus biblical stories, because it's one of the reasons I thank God daily for the law of non-contradiction, because it kind of works as like a, our anecdotal experiences or our personal experiences can be a continuation of the biblical narrative, mm-hmm. not in the sense that everything we live is canonized, yeah. but definitely in the sense that like in the same way that God was faithful to Jonah, Noah, Moses, Paul, anybody, he is also faithful to us. And our stories are a continuation of that truth, yeah. a lived experience. We of see that the characteristics that truth. we know about him in the pages of scripture. To exactly. And the reason I say I, I thank God for the law of non-contradiction is because it does create like socially and theologically the ability for us to be critical about which anecdotal experiences should be included in the corpus of experiences of God's fill in the blank with the characteristic versus which ones should maybe be excluded. Um, if, does that make any sense? Yeah, I, I just think, and maybe I can throw it to Sam because we've been here for a while, but I think I think Google and your usage of the law of non-contradiction for the ability that I'm going to have to look up what the law of non-contradiction is at the conclusion of this episode. <laughs> well, I mean, I wanted to link to it anyway, um, just to to give more detail to listeners because I don't think that phrase is something that the average person understands. Bad, <laughs> no, no, no. I want. I, can you just stop explain being, just a little stop bit? being smarter than us? <laughs> yeah. Two two assertions of truth can't be contradictory and both be true. Mm-hmm. One of them has to be false. Uh, some people will hear that claim and say that's Western philosophy. I think it's universally true, and I don't think it can be contradicted mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because we we've only ever experienced a reality in which two things which are contradictory can't simultaneously be true, right? It's as simple as the idea of like, if I'm holding a pen, I can't simultaneously say this pen is in its entirety red. Also, this pen is in its entirety blue. Those two things are contradictory. 
pick one. So what I mean with like the law of non-contradiction in the context of this conversation is basically this idea that like, if you have an experience of God's faithfulness, that is contradictory to like the biblical corpus's mm-hmm. representation of what it means for God's God to be faithful. God's word gives us a means of kind of, uh, neglecting to incorporate or incorporating certain yeah. like so, personal experiences. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going. It's the guardrails. Like we don't, get yeah, to, we exactly. don't get to pull an ethereal image of a god that we've created that somehow contradicts the pages of scripture. Yeah, but we have a book and all of our corporate experiences piled together to make sure that we don't contradict. Because it it would inevitably like our our moral systems for us as believers would inevitably crumble into um, subjectivism. Or like more relativism, which is just a fancy way to say everybody gets to choose what's quote unquote right for them. Um, or and, true. Yeah, or true for them. Exactly. Where my brain went with that was the experiencing God study, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. Um, Henry Blackaby and his son wrote it years ago. And that's something that they spent a lot of time dwelling on is the names of God. And that's what my mind went to with that, that throughout Scripture and also throughout our lives, that an encounter with God, an experience with God, yields a name mm-hmm. um, where we get a Deliverer, um, King of Kings, Provider, sort of Provider, yeah. um, and those become names of Him because that is who He is. Once we've experienced Him in that way, and I think that once you've got that experience in your life, you got three things that are going to happen at some point in the future, hopefully. You share that in common with somebody who's also experienced that, and that's a celebration. You have that experience, and someone else needs that experience and doesn't have it, and they get encouraged. Um, But you also, by showing up to a place to hear the truth of who God is, um, you get that validation of, was that something that I can really say God is at work in my life? Mm because he's working now the way that he has before and yeah. now I'm experiencing him in that way. Yeah. So can you only do that through home group or can you only do that on a Sunday morning or can you do that in either one? Uh, yes. <laughs> Great. Well, so we figured yeah, yes, it out. All of them. So, so I think I'm coming to the conclusion, at least for like this little branch of the conversation that there is something worthwhile in gathering physically because it, it, allows us to create a closer approximation to who God is in actuality within lum- human limitations because we have, you know, the more people that gather, the more stories are embedded in that physical environment of who God is and the more accurately he can be praised because I may be praising a facet of God that I've very deeply experienced because of something I've lived through. Whereas like you, Sam, entirely different experiences and background in your life you may be worshiping a facet of him that's mm-hmm. uh subtly varied from what i'm worshiping and it's not that we're worshiping different gods but we're worshiping a god that we've experienced very differently mm-hmm. um and i think that enriches what the function of worship is i think it it allows us to more fully honor god when we're all physically in one place there's also something to be said this is so if that's number one for in my head what i'm coming to as far as like why come physically versus online number two would be i don't think i don't think it's safe to create uh how do i get to the end of this (laughs) go back uh we have 
precedence in the Old Testament for physically gathering at least once a year around major festivals with temple worship. And part of the function it served served in the Old Testament was, especially with those festivals incorporated in, was that it allowed the nation of Israel to form a national identity around who God was. And I think the same is true for us, although not it's not a national identity, but it is a unique cultural identity among the world. Um, I think I think when we gather, it allows us to create a, a cultural identity for us as a church or for the church as a whole, you know, Big C Church. And I, what I'm getting at between online and in person is I don't think it's safe to create a cultural identity purely online. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that is because when you are not physically with someone, you can interact in a way that you would never especially if you can remain anonymous anonymity is something online that is worth a discussion, like, especially in this context. But like one of the reasons I don't think it's safe is because you don't have the social feedback of what's okay versus what's not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And part of the physical limitations is if I'm being a turd online, <laughs> I'm not going to get hit <laughs> or I'm not going to be socially ostracized. And that's just kind of an absurd ex- example of how you don't get the same social feedback that helps you alter yourself so that you can more responsibly fit into the culture of the group. Um, and hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm arguing that anybody that comes to church has to contort themselves to fit into the cultural identity that's already here. But if you want to continually progress and participate in it more meaningfully, then there is a sense in which you have to like allow yourself to be altered by the social context that you find yourself in for whatever reason i'm deciding to wax eloquent this week but um does that make sense yeah okay well i mean even in the context of home group people identify your blind spots and they always point you to the truth if you're watching online you have of course the message or the preacher but having that that group around you is gonna reinforce yeah so that's that's the behavioral side of it what you can do versus what you probably shouldn't but in addition to that there's stuff like the the songs we listen to there's there's the way that the pastor speaks. There's there's uh, even even shared mannerisms between people that are part of a subculture like that. What it means to be part of a subculture like runs very, very deeply in us. And you don't get that online. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be somehow significant for the larger experience of living in community. Um, so, yeah, I would say the first thing I said and this more recently (laughs) those two things (laughs) i love how these conversations go so next week we are talking about we're talking about home groups it feels like a natural place to work out either way home groups or baptism maybe we'll ask our listeners and they can decide which one we do next i think you're going to get baptism if you ask them think so okay well, we'll see. So as you're listening to this, I know you're following us on Instagram and you'll be able to participate in the questions we ask online. Um, and also be sure, even if you're listening to this, check and make sure that you've subscribed to the podcast. That way more people can find it. And if you find it in your heart to leave a review, please go ahead and do so. We'd love a nice review. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. You can't just ask for a wink, nice review. Wink. Okay. Yes, your honest review, and it'll help us get better. So we'll be back in two weeks with Grace and the Great Podcast, where we use the black and white of scripture to speak truth into the gray areas of culture. Have a great week.